Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I am Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. Hi, I'm Dr. Cindy Young and I live in Chesapeake, Virginia. I am a defense contractor as a full-time job, uh, curriculum developer and instructor. I also am the founder and CEO of CGN Consulting, a knowledge management consulting firm. One of the things I can talk about for hours is knowledge sharing. I totally believe in knowledge sharing. I'm totally opposed to knowledge hoarding. I try to encourage that at my full-time job to people talk to each other about what they know and they're surprised by what each other does know. I really try to emphasize how important it is and what it can do for the organization as a whole when people share what they know. I try to encourage people to share because that helps them to be able to take vacations and to not be tied to their phones on those vacations. Good reason, right? Mm -hmm. Usually the organization tries to limit that. Some organizations, some, some don't care. Just keep communicating with people regardless where they are. In our organization, a lot of us are retired military. So part of the thing is, is that we're used to sharing knowledge just out of survival. And it's not a profit loss thing. But mm -hmm. now that we're defense contractors, we have to think profit loss. But we also think about the fact that we could be laid off or let go. So I just I have to bring in uh, a little bit of one of your TED Talks. Uh, and I'm not sure how many you've done. But on your LinkedIn, I was just checking out a little bit about something your dad had said about the fair is not in town. Right. Can you give me a little bit about what that context is? I'm assuming you have a child or had a child at some point. Well, when my kid was little, she used to always tell me it's not fair. And so <laughs> that that's basically where it comes from. You know, the fair is not in town. <laughs> you know, it's a little kinder, gentler way of telling the kid suck it up, but Yeah, the fair is not in town. No, no it's a it's a quippy little response that kind of hopefully will put a band-aid on the temporary situation for whatever the situation is. What happened to bring that up as a topic? I was talking to a friend of mine who does TEDxs. She helps people get hired for TEDxs or, you know, allowed to give a TEDx. I was actually in her course how to write your TEDx talk. Well, I was thinking about everything that I dealt with that I thought could change somebody else's mm -hmm. thought. Mm -hmm. I was doing some research to see how I could back it up scholarly, and I came across the research about where the seats are. And then that made me think about knowledge management. But the seats about Sorry. where, because it was Congress and it was uh, budgets, and the senior people always knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. That was the only way you knew, and that people didn't feel trusted in it. And so to me, that was knowledge management right there. You're not sharing what's going on. So people below you can't support you, but they also don't feel like they're Got it. part of the team. Got it. So that's where I came up with the title, which you know is, is based on where you sit. That's got a lot of credence to it. And I think as a leader, it should be reminded in the organization that just because the executive team knows what's going on doesn't mean the organization knows what's going on. You know, that's a need to know kind of situation, but it's something that's easily, I think, forgotten. And that kind of leads us right into our topic of trust. How does an organization develop a better way to make sure people are included in what they need to know? It may sound obvious, but you have to build it into your culture, like you do communication, how you conduct business is going to say a lot, but if you talk to your people, they can better support their 
company's efforts, their plans. They also support the customers better. You know, when somebody knows what's going on, especially if you think about like a help desk, if you call the help desk and they have to pass you two or three different people just to get the right answer, you're not going to be happy. And we've all had that experiences. I hate that. (laughs) It is so refreshing when you find an organization that empowers whoever answered the phone to fix your issue. It's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Because the endless passing around and then finally getting hung up on and then you have to start it all over again is so aggravating. It is. It's enough to make you cry. It's just very frustrating. (laughs) Who affects that? Who, Who owns that issue? It's easy to say the culture just is, uh, and it's mostly, I think, people will saddle the culture directly to the leader or leaders mm-hmm. uh, and say it's their issue or they're, they're creating the pathway of whatever that culture exists like. How can you affect a better, positive, sharing, knowledge, trusting organization What would be your first three things that you would say, just make sure you do this? Well, honestly, it starts at the top. My military background, you have to have the commanding officer has to be the one to set the standard and also follow the standard. In a defense contracting world, my commanding officer or the CEO is so many people removed that he's got to rely on the managers. It can't be relying on on a C-suite. It's got to be relying on the managers, the day-to-day people handling business. So you also have to get the word down there. But you also want to make it public. We have a lot of that on our public website at our company because we have close to 40,000 or maybe over 40,000 people in our company and it's global. So we have to have, you know, some standards in place. Those are just two easy ways. Another way is to actually practice what you're preaching. Talk to people, come down, come down to areas, look at look processes and have people that are working the processes to make sure that they work for those as well. You know, can't delegate something and tell them, hey, take care of it. If you don't give them authority to do it and you don't tell them how you think it should be done and get feedback. And that architecture, don't you think that's a bit of a hybrid that exists now just out of necessity? I have a military background also. So the idea of the follow the orders, do what you're told, you know, without any kind of interception of reality at the ground truth that could have changed the situation or orders per se, there's a, an ability to make a organization a little more, what do I want to say, organic in its own structure to allow for left and right movement. There's got to be some flexibility there, but there's also got to be an air of okayness with making mistakes. A lot of what happens is we get feedback from our customers. We get graded. Uh, there's a report card they send out to us every year. It tells us how we're supporting them. And based on that is how we get our feedback and how we put the process of reviewing it and of making changes to it. But it also has to be, got to talk to people doing the work, talking to the customers and giving that feedback back to the managers, just so the managers aren't surprised when they get the report card. That fluidity is kind of a challenge depending on the organizational culture. And one of the things that you wanted to pinpoint on is the reverse mentorship. Can you kind of explain how that would help an organization become a little more pliable? Yes. Um, first of all, reverse mentoring, it's about not just think of mentoring as a senior to a junior, but a junior to a senior. Because we've seen this in the military, I found it was missing. When you look at somebody junior, 
somebody junior may not necessarily mean that they don't know. They may actually know how to do something differently. So it opens up to innovation. It opens up to communication. And with that comes knowledge. So one of the things that I did at my last job, I worked with a VP that was senior to me in the company and we did mind mapping and we mind mapped a business development capture effort. I was able to take explicit knowledge that I researched and tacit knowledge from people I worked with to find out who had worked with those companies. So this is also where the feedback comes in because if they worked at the company that we're going after a contract for, they can also tell us how the customer thought of that job or what kind of things they wanted that weren't necessarily in the call for proposal or the statement of work. So diverse mentoring is very important. It's not just for personal growth, it's for the professional as a whole. Well, it professionalizes the workforce, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. So how does that get rolled out? I mean, is it actually in a structured framework or do you just plant seeds to let it just organically happen? Well, I haven't seen it formally put out there, but we have these things called ERGs, employee resource groups. They're kind of like small communities of practice, but they're, you know, we have a women's group. There's a military group, also a Hispanic group. So you have people in common with common interests and common goals, but you're putting them in this employee resource group so that they can learn from each other. So we have different things that happen, webinars, just open discussions. We have blogs for these separate groups. And while these separate groups are for these groups in general, they're still open to the whole company to see. You can join them or you can leave them as you want to. But through that, we also get to talk to each other and learn from each other. So reverse mentoring is really, I think, found in those areas more so than anything else. So do you find that that what you're reflecting on right now is a framework? Is that framework been set by the KM folks or by HR or who built this culture to begin with? You know, I don't know who built it. <laughs> when I joined my company, it was there because I've only been with this company for two years. It's It was there and I joined the Women's Network ERG and I've enjoyed it being able to talk to people both senior and junior to where I am, but also along the horizontal, along the different jobs. So there's a lot of cross-knowledge sharing, cross-population of it. Yeah, that cross-talk, mm-hmm. that ability to build relationships that are not constrained to the workforce parameters of what department you're in or right. what your job title is, gives such a level of living, such a breath of um, what I want to say, the, you, you talked about innovation, but it also gives us synergistically, it gives a opportunity for things that just happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love getting rid of those silos because that drives me crazy when somebody in one section says, well, I can't tell you why, because it's our business. It's not yours. And I'm like, but you're affecting us or we're affecting you. And we can't, we can't make changes if we don't know. Well, when I talk to people about knowledge management, if they say, well, how do we get rid of those? I always suggest you have somebody either collateral, maybe a couple times a week, or you just find out who's interested have them go talk to people and build those relationships because then you find out what the problems are and ask them, hey, what can we do better to make your life easier? I know in the knowledge management community that that is a pretty basic thing, but my old company, there are some people in that company that were like, that costs too much money. Like it doesn't cost anything. (laughs) Just maybe a little bit of time, go take a (laughs) coffee break and not get on people about drinking too much. I think some of those folks are just so scared that people would just spend time and not work. 
You know, they, they, mm-hmm. they think it's an either-or situation instead of a and-so kind of connector. You know, it, until you see the value, it's hard to convince somebody. There's a friend of mine in Italy that utilizes the term, those folks are called permafrost. They're, they're <laughs> you, you know, they're just kind of frozen. They don't want to play. They don't want to grow. They just, they're there. I, I think the culturation, if that's the right word, the, the ability to change an organization to become more connected, more not free will, but be able to just talk open. to people. Yeah, exactly. Open. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be a mind bender for some folks, but for folks in the knowledge framework that we're in, that's just a given. That's just the way it's supposed to be. Yes. Granted, we've both got a military background, so there's always a classification wall that you, you don't get to do that. But but within that wall, oh my gosh, it expands so much possibility. It's hard to believe organizations fight that. A lot of people want to be, this is mine, that's yours. And they don't want to share it. Because again, that goes back to people being afraid that they're going to, somebody's got no more than them and they'll lose their job or they'll lose their status yeah. in the company. Yeah. And I think in the military framework, in the Army anyway, the, the idea was that you kind of had to know what was going on around you, above you, and below you because at a drop of a hat, that individual may be gone. So you need to cover down on whatever that job was or task. So there has to be this mesh idea where things are connected by purpose of the mission of the organization. That's the overall push. That's the focus. That's the goal. And if everybody is not working towards that goal in this concerted effort, it's tough. Same way in the Navy. It was based on resources you had, and you couldn't just get a replacement to somebody if they got sick and they had to be healed off the ship. It just didn't happen. You had to do cross-training. And so we were very big into cross-training, just like every other service, big in cross-training, make sure people, you could have coverage, you have forceful backup. In the defense industry, the company I work for, I think we're at 33% retired or former totally veterans. I I hear the drums in the background, and that means you get to tell me what knowledge management is. Is what you know to do with the information you have. So if you have information, what do you know to do with it? So you're actually putting the ownership on the individual. I am for the most part. You know, grand knowledge sharing still has to happen. I think you're the first person in the seat to say... It's your responsibility. I have to say it is because if you don't care about it, who else's? I love it because, you know, how we define knowledge management is very applicable to the organization it sits in, but that personal behavior and ownership and stewardship has to be present Mm -hmm. for anything to work. So is that an HR job? How do you hire for that? Actually, in the company I work for, I don't know that we have anybody specified as a knowledge manager. I don't know how you'd hire for it. I don't think it's even a labor category. My last company, I was a knowledge manager for two years, but that was more of an information manager. Even though I did get to support community practice, it was more about me setting up conference rooms, taking minutes, yeah, yeah. and making sure people knew what was going on. So Let's figure this out. We're, we're both pretty smart folks. Mm-hmm. All right, so what's the top three things you got to have to have personal ownership and stewardship and knowledge sharing? What are the first three things you want to hire? Mm. Right? Is it a degree? Is it a skill set? Is it a personality attribute? What what makes those people responsible? I think one of it is knowing what the end requirements are. You know, how to achieve what goals they want to meet or what things they need to achieve. And from that, you can take what knowledge you need to do the job. You know, do you need to 
have somebody that knows something about what the other areas are doing? Do you need to know a little bit about what the job, so if you're in manufacturing, do you need to know how to put together a product? Or do you need to just know that these people are the ones that do it? And these are the certifications required to do the job. Sure. Well, that's a technical skill set that you have to have mm -hmm. to perform the work required. But how do you gauge who cares and who doesn't? Because that's really the essence of what you're saying is that if you want me to own that I'm responsible for being a knowledge component, knowledge worker, a participant of this organization, then my technical skill doesn't drive that. My personal, my, my own worth or value system helps build that. So I'm just curious if we could build out a way to hire people, a word that's been used in the last five years that I've come across is grit. Mm -hmm. The perseverance and grit to be able to perform that personal drive. Well, you're a runner. Why Why do you run? Because you have to? Because you have the technical skill? Or is there some passion burning in you to run? There's no passion in me. There's just a nice little medal at the end. <laughs> it looks pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the fundraising that I do when I do the team and train runs. Oh, but, um... <laughs> okay. All right. So personally, you could care less. You could be jumping in ice water for the Oh, no. Plunge. I care about that. <laughs> I would say the the personal thing that I'd want somebody to know, other than having the grit, like you mentioned, is the the care, the fact that they care about what they're doing. Because I need somebody that gives a blank about their job. I don't want somebody just comes to right. to clock eight hours and go home. Exactly. We'll have robots that replace those people someday. What would be your question in an interview to try to dig into deeper about what do you you know how do you find that? Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to get to is how do we start thinking about the hiring process to start targeting people that care. Yeah, see, I've done interviews several times and I don't like to ask my people questions. So what would you do in this situation? Because there's always the book definitions of what they would do. You know, so I think I'd want them to explain to me, first I'd want to know what they thought knowledge management was. Because like you said, different definitions. I mean, we know there's at least over a hundred definitions. What do they think about it? kind of things they need to think about to make it happen, kind of tools they think are out there. And I'll tell you this, I don't believe there are any tools specific to knowledge management. I think these are tools that are already out there that people can use. So are they familiar with us? So you might want to find somebody that's, that works in process improvement or systems engineering that understands that there's always a way to get there. They just got to find it. So I would ask them those sort of things. You know, What would you do, not if you got a situation or if you wanted to do this. A conversation I had with the oil and gas company out of Texas, the question they had to me was, if you had to recommend to an organization that was getting into knowledge management, what technology would you recommend for them? Oh, that drives you crazy. <laughs> and my answer was, I wouldn't recommend a damn thing until I went and saw the culture mm -hmm. because they may already have all the tools they need. Why would I recommend something without understanding their work environment, their work flow their culture yeah and so, i mean you wouldn't even if the organization is just failing in in behaviors then they've already got all the tools they just need to get up on why the why does should they share you know the caring of sharing right right and personally i i'm more heart-centric human-centric knowledge management based you know technology is nice but technology only works if the people in place 
understand what they're doing and why they're doing it. And until we get to the workforce of all AI bound or automated digits that are doing the work, and we still have to deal with the gray matter of individuals, then they should be first and foremost in any of the culture looks, as far as I'm concerned. No, I agree. Because they'll always be your strongest or your weakest link in getting anything done. Yeah, I fully believe that. In fact, everything I write about, it's all about the human side. So anything you want to add in? Any last thought, best advice? Uh, Well, tons of information everywhere. Tons of knowledge to be gained. And it's kind of fun once you get into it because once you become a problem solver, people want you on their team and they don't want to get rid of you. They want to keep you. Good key ingredient of behaviors that care, right? Problem solvers, people that are trying to figure out a better way. I like it. Well, thank you, Dr. Cindy (laughs) Young. I appreciate your time. I thank you for your time and your effort for sharing what you know. No, thank you. And go Navy beat Army. (laughs) Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation Brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.